0: Blue wire Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He
2: dives and he's in. Touchdown. 49ers. Kittle is gonna go! Touchdown. Hey, thanks for joining Candlestick Chronicles. It's the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. He's Chris Biederman. I'm Kyle Madsen. We're your hosts. Chris, it's starting to get hot outside, and you know what that means. What does it mean, Kyle? It's time to start beating the heat, baby. Yeah, <laughs> boy. We're back at it. Uh, we ordered curtains, some like blackout curtains, because the sun sets behind the house and just beats on the back windows. I think I have mentioned that before, so we're getting some blackout curtains and trying to cool it off without pumping the AC. All, All motor problems yeah big time you only have a warm abode if you own a home it's a true right. story <laughs>
3: true. um yeah i'm definitely roasting right now too in my room um you're just which i think is going to be going to be normal here going forward so
2: yeah definitely get one of those fans that's like a circle but doesn't have anything in the middle those are great i highly recommend one of those you can get oh, at, like, the Costco. dyson's the, the yeah. like four
3: hundred dollar ones yeah wow must be nice man i don't have one of those i for oh, sure okay. don't have one of those oh okay. i wish
2: i did uh, <laughs> but we
3: what are we gonna we, talk about today yeah we
2: we broke it's... down the niners draft with our our buddy nick wagner from espn earlier in the week and we talked about the things we pretty much the things we liked i, I think we all gave the 49ers a pretty good grade except for nicky given an f but you and i gave the niners a pretty good grade on on what they did they made some savvy moves to to fill their biggest needs. And they replaced Joe Staley, who retired on the third day of the draft, and they replaced him with seven time pro bowler Trent Williams. So all things considered, you got to like where the Niners are, both in the short term uh, and moving forward. But it wasn't all necessarily roses because uh, the Niners aren't just set for the next three to five years. I mean, they are at some positions, but. They're going to run into some issues uh, with their roster. Their top four cornerbacks are not under contract beyond this season. Their edge rush depth might be uh, a little bit of an issue. And that was all stuff we talked about before the draft. So uh, we're going to talk today about some of the things we thought uh, they were going to do or maybe should have done because we're right all the time. So... (laughs) So the first thing that really stood out to me when when we were laying out kind of pre-draft needs, oh good, my cats are going to yell at me through the whole podcast, that's great. Uh, the thing that stood out to me was when we were putting together before the draft 49ers needs, it was wide receiver, defensive line, and then cornerback somewhere in that top three, and there was some speculation that they might go corner at number 13 or 31 or maybe in a a trade back from 31 and take a cornerback a little bit later to kind of start setting that position up for the future just because there's not really a, a foundational piece at that position yet they not only didn't draft a cornerback early they didn't draft a cornerback at all and that 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 was a bit a bit confusing to me and I think is something that they're going to have to address pretty early in next year's draft unless something drastic happens uh, with, with some improvements on the roster this year.
3: Yeah, so I, I look at this a few different ways, and Kyle Shanahan spoke about it at length a, a few different places since the draft happened. But basically, because the 49ers traded uh, their third and fourth round picks to the Broncos for Emmanuel Sanders, that, that was not in their plans, right? That was... The, the plan, the long-term planning that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch outlined um, did not include uh, making that midseason trade for Emmanuel Sanders. So what ended up happening was they started out, whatever, 8-0, and 7-0, whatever it was. And then Kyle Shanahan realized, wow, we have a chance at winning a Super Bowl. Let's go get a receiver to round out our offense. Because, you know, the passing game was sort of the the last aspect of the 49ers game to, to really um, get flowing with the rest of the team. And and that was in part because, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was getting more comfortable coming off the ACL, but also with the infusion of Emmanuel Sanders. And we talked about it a lot, like Garoppolo during the second half of the season was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL um, statistically. And, you know, just uh a, through you know the lens of however you want to look at football. Garoppolo was really good in the second half. Um, and that was kind of a surprise. So the 49ers went into this draft having to deal with a couple things that they weren't planning for. They weren't planning for Joe Staley to retire this soon. He signed a contract extension last June um, that put him under contract through 2021. So they were planning to have him for at least a couple more years. So what ended up happening is they go into this draft without those uh, third and fourth round picks that they dealt for Sanders. They got a fifth round pick back from from the Broncos in that trade. Uh, they did plan on not having that second round pick. They were fine with using that to get D4. Um, but the interesting part of that is instead of saying, all right, we lost these assets, let's try to recoup them. Um, they just said, well, we really like Brandon Ayuk, and so we're going to double down again and trade away, you know, the fourth round pick they got from moving down one spot from 13 to 14. Uh, we're going to, we like Brandon Ayuk enough that we'll worry about the rest of our needs later. And we'll just, we'll, we'll get a full draft next year uh, with the exception of the third round pick they sent in the Trent Williams trade. So it's, it's kind of an interesting series of decisions that the 49ers made. Which leads to me thinking, like, this is a huge bet on Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. Right? Because they they could have stood pat at 31. Maybe they didn't get a receiver they liked as much as Ayuk, but they could have gotten a receiver. There were a lot of receivers still on the board at that point. Um, They could have kept moving back to get a cornerback. They could have kept moving back to get another edge rusher. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. we... It's, it's just an interesting series of decisions because going into the draft, the like you and I and, and so many other people expected the 49ers to move back into rounds two and three of, as often as they could because they had to start thinking about the future. Well, what Kyle Shanahan said was we were the best team in the NFL last year. I still think, even despite losing to Forrest Buckner and Emmanuel Sanders, if I replace those guys with Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk, then we'll still be in that discussion. And, you know, competitively, it's a really, really aggressive take. But I don't think it's something that, like, Bill Belichick or John Schneider would have done, right? Like, the Patriots and Seahawks are two teams that are notorious for being competitive every single year um, and trading back a lot in the draft for more bites at the apple. And so that's sort of what I thought the 49ers would do because, as we've mentioned, their top four corners, uh, Richard Sherman, Akella Witherspoon, Kwan Williams, and Emmanuel Mosley, who's going to be ex- an exclusive agent or restricted. Either way, M- mosleys probably going to be back in 2021 regardless. But the other three guys are, you know, they could walk next year. And so now you're leaving yourself in a position where you probably have to address cornerback like you did uh, Edge Rusher before the 2019 season when you get you know you sent a second round pick to Kansas City for D Ford and then you use your first round draft pick on Nick Bosa it mm-hmm. could be that that's what the 49ers are heading towards next off season but right. um and the la- the last point i want to make is the counter argument to that is as much as we talk about well the 49ers can't really rely on a Witherspoon cuz he's inconsistent and Emmanuel Mosley, we don't know if he can be a full-time starter yet, and he made the mistake on 3rd and 15 in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, you look at, I mean, the statistics stand out for themselves. The Niners had the best pass defense since 2009, statistically, uh, during the regular season. And according to Pro Football Focus, they had the best coverage grade in the NFL. And I know we talk about how good the 49ers' pass rush was and how, how much that positively impacted their pass defense. But the corners were really, really good last year. And we like to mm-hmm. single out anytime there's a screw-up. But I think in the aggregate, like it is, a, it is still a pretty solid group. Even if you don't think Richard Sherman's going to be as good as he was last year, it's still a really good group. And that's what the 49ers appear to be banking on. But it is interesting to me that Kyle Shanahan, in that position, not having picks in rounds 2, 3, and 4, said, all right, this is how much I like Brandon Ayuk. And I'm going to trade up to get him um, at the cost of potentially addressing other areas of need on our roster. Um, but it's an aggressive play and, you know, and, and definitely an interesting one. And I can't yeah, really and- fault him for it. I think he knows, you know, he knows his team better than I do. But that, that to me was one of the most fascinating things to come out of the draft from a big picture, big picture perspective.
2: Yeah, it's it's everything you just described is like the Niners went with this quality over quantity draft strategy. Right. Like the the Javon Kinlaw pick was filling the need on the defensive line. The Brandon Ayuk pick was filling their need at the top of the receiver depth depth chart. The Colton McKivitz pick is a versatile offensive lineman. They need some help on the offensive line, uh, some depth help. So he fills that Charlie Werner. They lose Levine Toilolo. You could see him. He's the best run blocking tight end in this class, according to PFF. You see him sliding into that Levine Toilolo third uh, third tight end role as a sixth round pick. And then Juwan Jennings may not make the team just because the receiver depth chart is so crowded, but he forced missed tackles on 51% of his catches. And Kyle Shanahan loves guys who can create after the catch. So you see why that pick was made that's all great but but it's it's dangerous because a swing and a miss in this draft sets you back a a year or two and i i get that having faith in the roster is good and saying that hey there just aren't that many open spots so john lynch and kyle shanahan are saying we can just trade up in the first round, get our two guys and then make some moves around in the in the lower rounds and just walk away with a five player draft class because we don't have open roster spots. But at that point, you're just not fostering more competition. And I, I get it like I'm I, I I track the, the logic and if it works out, that's that's great because it means they were maximizing the the quality of the player they think they're getting but realistically like when you look at nfl drafts it's a it's a home run draft if you get like two quality starters out of it that's like all right great like you can you can use those two starters you have them on rookie deals you might extend them whatever but that's in a class where you take seven eight nine guys the niners have five guys now and that just dramatically decreases the chances of of Finding a productive player even in the later rounds we've seen him get dj jones in the in the seventh round you get george kittle in the fifth round they've done a good job of finding guys later and in in the undrafted free agent pile so this is just there's there's definitely some risk that comes with it like you said they bet big on brandon Ayuk, and if he's not good or is is if he has a Dante Pettis type career where he's okay in year one and then falls off in year two, the Niners are going to feel that. And that's, that's my biggest takeaway here is I, I, I think they will be fine. Like it makes sense. And you said it best. And Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch know their roster better than you and I do put together, but you, you, the, the, the pitfalls of the plan are very, very visible.
3: Yeah, and it, it's it's the balance that I mean they're trying to strike a very delicate balance of being good enough to win the Super Bowl in 2020 mm-hmm. and also being good long term. And it's just their own way of doing it. Like it like it really is just a massive bet on Brandon Ayuk. I do want to mention that you know they they brought in DeMarcus AC um an undrafted cornerback from Missouri mm-hmm. and um you know, I don't know if they could count on him. They do like Tim Harris a lot, but Tim Harris is somebody who missed all of last season with an injury after having two redshirt seasons in college because of injuries. So he has a very extensive injury history. And I just think like, you know, somebody asked me, well, this is a good roster. Why do you need more picks? And to me, it's like, if you're not sure about D Ford's long-term future, then it's probably better to get somebody now, you know, like Curtis Weaver, for example. And I, I don't know why he fell. I think he, he went in the fifth round, but um, I know PFF yeah, loved state. him. I really enjoyed watching him. What's that? From Boise state, Boise state. Yeah. Curtis Weaver from Boise state, the edge rusher reminded me a lot of Ahmad Brooks, just like the way he sort of moved like a really athletic edge rusher. Um, like you could get guys like that that fill in in backup roles. And if you develop them, then you could say, well, do we would we rather have this guy than pay D Ford $18 million in 2021? Um, and those are questions that the 49ers uh, are going to have to ask themselves because they have $6.9 million in cap space now after the draft. And so it's going to be exceedingly difficult to keep upgrading the team when you pay George Kittle. Um, and you have these other big contracts on the book. So like, you know, you go through the depth chart and yeah, they seem pretty set in the starting lineup, but I don't know that the 49ers are as deep as, as they think they are. Um, you know, like, I think they do have good depth along the offensive line. I think their depth at receiver isn't terrible. Um, but like, can you upgrade the Contavious Street spot? Right? right like you you lose right. you lose sheldon day is contavious street somebody you would feel comfortable playing if you know javon kinlaw got hurt or if solomon thomas if you needed him to play on the edge because d ford got hurt yeah, um which happened you know the like, last couple of years right like you signed carrie Hyder, who had one sack last year and he had eight sacks i think a couple of years ago at um with detroit um but like under chris kassar yeah, are are you thrilled with Kerry Hyder and Ronald Blair as your backup defensive ends? Um knowing all the question marks you, you could have at at that position above them on the depth chart with D Ford and Solomon Thomas, guys who you right. might not be completely sure about. Ford it's a health issue. Solomon, it's it's a productivity issue. Um so I mean they they're just spots like you know, Dante Johnson, would, would you rather have a third or fourth round pick, a rookie coming in here competing, maybe somebody <clears throat> who you could develop into a starter rather than a known quantity like Dante Johnson, who's, uh, you know, your fourth or fifth corner. Like th- Jason Verrett. Like these mm-hmm. are all spots that you could have potentially upgraded in the draft, not only by getting cheaper, but maybe getting more talented at this point in their so- careers. And so that's just... You know, look, it, it's it's kind of nitpicking, to be honest. Because, like, look, well, the Niners it, still have arguably the best roster in the NFC. Actually, I, the Saints probably have a better roster right now. But, like, the Niners are going to be the team that, you know, they're, they're going to be among the top two or three in terms of betting favorites to get back to the Super Bowl in the NFC. Yeah, and that's I, th- because, I think
2: they're at the top right now.
3: Yeah, and that's because they do have a very talented roster still. But... but- the critique of the draft is there are plenty of spots looking at this roster that you could say, yeah, they could, they could have upgraded here. And they didn't. And you wonder, you know, if they deal with more injuries than they did last year, um, the depth of this roster is going to be challenged in a way uh, that it hasn't been in previous seasons, at least not last year. Yeah. It was definitely challenged in 2018, but they weren't contending then. So the stakes weren't nearly as high, but like, you know, like you, you're, you've sort of thinned yourself out with the trade, and I don't blame them for trading for Emmanuel Sanders. I think it was a good trade, and he obviously yielded dividends, and they almost won the Super Bowl in part because of that deal. But like, it cost them a lot, and they did, yeah. and they could have replenished it, but they didn't because they like Brandon Ayuk. In essence, that's that's sort of what this comes down to. So, it's a big bet, and I, uh, I, I, I wish I could tell you which. Which way the 49ers are are gonna come out of on this. Like I think i yeah, good. He, I think he's a perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan. Um, I just wonder, is he gonna be good enough right away to to justify the sacrifices you made other on, in other places because you liked him so much?
2: Yeah, and I think that that Kyle Shanahan explained it on the on the Tim Kawakami podcast, and it's a fascinating like insight into into team building, right? Because the Niners went in with two first-round picks, two, fifth to, two fifths to sixth, and two sevenths. And through their maneuvering, they wound up picking twice in the first round, but they got the top two players on their board. He explained that they wanted Kinlaw, didn't think he was going to get to 13, so they either would have aimed to trade back into the, like, 18 range and taken Ayuk there... Uh, but Kinlaw fell to them and then they played the the risk reward of moving back up to get Ayuk and so they wound up with the top two players on on their board the top two available players on their board I should say I imagine they you know a Jeff Okuda or whatever might have been higher but whatever like I, it's it's an interesting like thought experiment of of is it better to have a five player draft class where you got your top two players and then you risk all the things you were just saying, you know, you risk injury, you risk depth down the line. Uh, It's, it's a significant bet, but they got what Kyle Shanahan says were the two players. They were eyeing at 13 and they got them at 14 and 25, which, which I think a lot of teams are are walking away thinking that, that they got a steal. At at 25 and IUK, if they were considering him at 13, and what happens the rest of the draft matters a lot less. So, to your point, I think maybe next year we see kind of a hard uh shift from the 49ers, maybe in the other direction. They've already given up their third round pick in the Trent Williams trade, but if they wind up picking in the mid to late 20s or early 30s again. Which, which I think they will. I would be interested to see how they wind up operating and if they do maybe go for the quantity over quality next year, where they try and build out their depth a little bit more to, to make up for what they, what they weren't able to do or chose not to do, I should say, in, in 2020. It's, it's, yeah. dude, it's super interesting. Like there's no right way to build a football team, but typically, like we talked about having bites at the apple i'm gonna steal your phrase there in the draft that's that's typically the way to go and the niners kind of bucked that trend a little bit and i mean if they're competing for a super bowl again this year it's it's worth it like it, it it's ultimately working until it's not so
3: right so like you know just for context like debo samuel second round pick right Yeah. um fred warner third round pick to Moore, more third round pick um dj reed's a fifth round pick kella witherspoon's a third round pick george kittle's obviously a fifth round pick trent taylor round five dj jones round six so the the critique is like the niners are are, i mean if we judge the 49ers decision not to have any (laughs) mid-round picks because they've done well in in those middle rounds previously I mean that that's that's kind of a good problem to have, right? Like like uh well, the reason why people think we should have t- used or tried to trade for more mid-round picks is because we've been good in the middle rounds recently. Like that that's not a terrible spot to be in, but at the same time like you know, is is Colton McKivitz really going to give the 49ers a whole lot this year? Now, he could end up being the starting right guard. I'm not ruling that out. Um but you know, I mean, it ultimately, it just comes down to Ayuk, really. Yeah, that's, whole that's, thing. that's, like, that's really it. <laughs> like, If Ayuk is everything Kyle Shanahan thinks he is, then, then the 49ers are going to be fine. And here's the thing, like, since 2008, when Shanahan was an offensive coordinator, his teams have never drafted a receiver in round one, let alone trade up for one. Nope. Right? Like, before Kyle Shanahan came to the 49ers in 2017, his teams had never taken a receiver before round three. But, of course, it's also worth noting that he inherited Andre Johnson when he was in Houston. Yeah. And he inherited Julio Jones. So, And then I he inherited
2: it. Santana Moss.
3: Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And so, I mean, the, so who knows? Maybe Kyle Shanahan would have traded up, you know, depending on how much say he had in those personnel decisions. But I just think it's interesting that he's his teams have never done that and so this yeah. is a massive bet so
2: and he's very fired up about Ayuk. talks about how he can run all the routes he can run them from all three spots he's faster than his four five forty he had one of the fastest 10 yard splits in the class he I don't
3: yeah he, i don't know if fans know this but kyle shanahan has been so talkative this week it's wild dude
2: like he's he's a talkative for for an nfl head coach in general He's a pretty affable guy compared to a you know Bill Belichick or a Jim Harbaugh or whatever. Yeah. But but like this week has been wild.
3: He basically like I'm I'm not the And he likes gluten-free pizza. He likes gluten-free pizza. <laughs> um but he basically like I mean go listen to that Tim Kawakami podcast episode and shout out to Tim, friend of the pod. Um but Shanahan basically outlined their entire strategy. It was wild in, in that podcast. And I'm sitting there like I've never heard an NFL coach talk like this. Like I was expecting I saw in the little description that it says they talk about.
2: IU, and I was expecting a like, oh, he was the best player on our board. So that's what we that's what we went and did. We think we got a really good player. Like, no. Yeah. He, he was went, like,
3: yeah, we didn't we didn't think I was, you know, he was our guy. And and we had just gone. So he, I guess the Cliff Notes version is that. Had the, had uh Javon Kinlaw not been there at 13 or 14, the 49ers would have traded back uh, further than 14 into the middle part of the first round, probably recouped these middle round picks that were he that said a third round for pick not getting.
2: Th- they could have gotten.
3: Yeah, and then used that first round pick on Brandon Ayuk, and then the rest of the draft would have unfolded however it was. So the the fact that Kinlaw was still there uh, allowed the 49ers to take him and and get probably the best replacement for DeForest Buckner that they could have relative to how much Kinlaw is going to get paid on his rookie contract. Yeah. And then Shanahan said, Well, we thought Ayuk would go 18 to 22. And when we saw him available at 23 and 24, then we decided to trade up because the Niners had very good intel to quote Shanahan, saying that Ayuk uh, would not have fallen to them at 31. Right. Um, and so if if getting those two guys was your top mandate, your best-case scenario, like, credit to the 49ers. Like, you you develop a board, you develop a strategy. If you can execute that and come away with the players you want, like, credit to you. But it came at a cost. And that, that's all right. we're saying here is just that's what the cost is. Like if, if they're at a point where, you know, Dante Johnson and DJ Reed are playing in games and, you know, you know, say they're, they have to start a playoff game. Like that's what this is going to come back to. It's, it's going to be those guys are in the game, not some second round pick who might have been a far more talented player than either of those guys. Because the team was so content on moving up for Ayuk. So why don't we, uh, before before we continue, why don't we take a quick break? Yeah, let's do that. Hey guys, if you're looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, you should get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Please, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging, because we know discreet packaging is very important. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code blue wire. See there's some synergy there. Just pay five dollars in shipping. Again, that's B L U C H E W dot com promo code Bluewire. Blue chew, huh? Interesting. Chew it do it. <laughs>
2: No, so one thing, one thing another another draft related thing I want I want to get to. And we can we can talk about this kind of throughout the off season as we start to look at look at the rest of the league, but
3: and fight boredom.
2: Yeah, specifically in the NFC West, the Cardinals might be really good next year. Okay, explain well, they were already good last year. Like I think I think they were better than their record. And the 49ers saw firsthand how good Kyler Murray is. But they traded for DeAndre Hopkins. So they add DeAndre Hopkins to their receiving core with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler and they, I, I mentioned they have they have Murray uh, under center, who I think is gonna. I, I don't know if he'll have a Lamar Jackson type leap this year because I, I don't think he's gonna win the MVP, but I think he's gonna be really, really good. And they they draft Isaiah Simmons number eight overall, who might just be kind of the perfect counter to modern offense is just because of all the, all the things he can do at the linebacker position. They get Josh Jones, an offensive tackle from Houston in the third round who was projected by a lot of people to go in the first round. Um, they took LSU defensive lineman, Rashard Lawrence in the fourth round, who was one of my draft crushes. So obviously home run for them. Uh, <laughs> They take Evan Weaver, a linebacker out of Cal, really productive player. You know, Benjamin, a running back from ASU. They got him in the seventh round. Uh, Benjamin is a really fun, like good player. They took uh, Leckie Fotu from Utah also in the fourth round. So they bolstered that defensive line. They got better on the offensive line. You drop Isaiah Simmons into the middle of a defense, and it automatically makes a bad defense uh, better. (laughs) And... (laughs) I was gonna say marginally, but but not marginally. Like they're they're a better defense now than they were at the end of last season. I just think the Cardinals are gonna be are gonna be if they're not good, they're gonna be really tough to beat.
3: Like yeah, I, they were tough to beat last year.
2: Yeah, right. And that's that's what I'm saying is like maybe they don't go ten and six, but they they might be like an eight and eight type team that loses four or five games by three to five points.
3: Yeah. I mean, and you when remember, you remember, like it, it took it took a, a last minute touchdown pass to yeah. uh Jeff Wilson Jr. to to beat the Cardinals at Levi's last year.
2: Yeah, and they um, needed like three or four third down conversions on on Halloween up there and or down there in Arizona. Yep. That they they I mean Arizona played them really tough last year, and they got I I think anyways uh significantly better. And I just wanted to point that out, but I, I think we'll probably talk about rest of the nmc west a little more throughout the offseason
3: yeah what can so i have a isaiah simmons take that's probably Please. unpopular oh and this that. is um this is something i heard and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend that i studied isaiah simmons super closely because i didn't and i understand his skill set is crazy if you wa- and his traits are uh bananas as I if you watch say. if you watch clemson you know right I, yeah um so i was told by somebody who who you know, whose opinion I value that Isaiah Simmons wasn't the best, like strong safety, whatever in the class. Like there are, there are a lot of people who like Xavier McKinney out of Alabama, just as purely as a football player Hmm. more than Simmons. But, but McKinney doesn't have the crazy physical traits, right? Like McKinney isn't 230 pounds and, and run a four you know, four three nine or or whatever Simmons did. From from an instinct standpoint, um, and just kind of like a between the years standpoint, uh, that some people believe that McKinney is a better football player. And that's not to say Simmons isn't going to be a star. But hearing that and and doing a little bit more digging was one of the reasons why I did the draft crush thing with with Xavier McKinney. And the other part of that too was like Chikawasky Tart being mentioned in Uh, Michael Lombardi's tweet that talked about the players the 49ers were looking to move in a trade to me trading Tart and drafting McKinney would have made a lot of sense it would have been sort of the same line of thinking as as the Mike McGlinchey pick in 2018 um but yeah anyway that's Simmons isn't like there were I think there was discussion in the league leading up to the draft that and i I know i'm not the first person to say this i'm not trying to like break news or anything but Mm -hmm. um i think there there was a contingent of people that thought simmons would slide in the draft and he did a little bit yeah i mean eight eight overall isn't
2: but there were like for a long time he was like a top four pick yeah in mock drafts
3: yeah that's fair i mean a lot of it too is just like god this guy looks so cool (laughs) like he does dude if you have like crazy physical traits and you look cool in a uniform and you move fast like people are that's just how this how this stuff works with Mark. I
2: think I think the appeal with him is more like you can mess with your coverages a little bit and change up your scheme a little bit just on the like down-to-down basis but ultimately like he's a really fast linebacker who can match up with whoever comes across the middle, and that's a really valuable skill set to have in the NFL today. Yeah, it's absolutely. part of why the Niners' defense is so good. They have three guys who can do it. so. Um,
3: do we want to I, go I, through other teams in the NFC West while we're while we're here?
2: Uh, we can. I'm not prepared
3: to do so, but if you are, okay. please take it away, and I will get prepared as you were talking. Um, I liked the Seahawks' pick at 48 when they took Daryl Taylor, the the edge player from Tennessee there's some buzz yes. around him that he yes. might be the the type of like the next sort of Frank Clark like guy. And and we see it a lot there. There are some like edge rusher dudes that end up falling out of the first round for whatever reason, but just come to the league and be really, really good. Uh, and so the fact that Pete Carroll, who's somebody that I respect immensely just from a football mind standpoint and like a talent sure. evaluation standpoint, if he's willing to forego signing, Uh, Jadavian Clowney and everson griffin because he really likes daryl taylor i'm inclined to think that daryl taylor Taylor is going to be really good so i uh i'm interested in that pick i don't know anything about jordan brooks i know that was the the linebacker they took at the back end of the first round out of texas tech a lot of people thought he would be a second or third round pick um i think i'm less i'm less skeptical of taylor than i am brooks yeah. Um, but at the same time, this is another one of those things. Like Pete Carroll knows exactly what he wants in in that position, and so with KJ Wright, you know, getting up there in age, and Bobby Wagner being up there, um, I I could see why taking a linebacker there would make sense. Apparently, it was a reach, but we'll see. I mean, I think. Do you doubt the Seahawks' ability to just like they?
2: Kevin Clark on on the Ringer NFL show put it perfectly like the Seahawks once again did a bunch of stuff that doesn't really make sense and they're going to go win 10 or 11 games.
3: Yeah, because they could have an AAF roster around Russell Wilson and still be a 500 team. Right. So the fact that they have one of the better coaches in the league, regardless of how talented the roster is with Russell Wilson, they're just that's just the team they're going to be. They're always going to be tough to beat. Always. Yeah. And they'll always be in close games. They ne- they're they never, the Seahawks are never in a blowout. No. Ever. No, and it's because so their weird.
2: roster's not always super talented. They're just well coached and they have a quarterback who kind of overcomes all that.
3: Um, the Rams going yeah. running back. I have I have thoughts. Oh, you have thoughts. Okay, let's go.
2: What was the reason, what was the biggest reason the Rams struggled last year on offense? The offensive line. Yeah, they couldn't block anybody. Nope. How many offensive linemen did they take in the draft? Uh, let
3: me count here. Zero.
2: No, they took one in the seventh round. Pick oh, 250. Yep. Tremaine so, An Ancrum. Ancrum. Great offensive lineman name. But they took a kicker <laughs> before yeah. they addressed their offensive line. And here's they they you said Cam Akers from Florida State. Really fun player. And was good, even on a bad Florida State team, which I think says a little something. And I think he might actually be an effective NFL player. And I understand trying to replace Todd Gurley, but the Rams didn't have a first round pick. Pick number 52, where they took Akers, was their first selection in the draft. And they took a running back. And then they took a receiver with their second pick. Five picks later.
3: I like Van Jefferson.
2: I think Van Jefferson's fine. I think he's a a good player. Florida had a lot of. Florida A wasn't great, but B had like a lot of receiving options. And so there was no like high volume guy. And I think Van Jefferson is better than his numbers. Yeah. Same. But then like Terrell Lewis from Alabama is like a toolsy edge rusher guy who uh, is big and long and strong. But, you know, he's like a
3: Belichick type that like. You know, are we playing a four down front or three down front this week? Is he going to drop right. into coverage or, you know, pass rush or whatever? He, he's like one of those versatile dudes. But Do you trust the Rams to be that
2: smart on defense to figure out how to use him, though?
3: I don't, because to be honest, I, I can't even name the Rams offensive coordinator off the top of my head. It's Sean. I know, I know Wade Phillips is gone and I forgot the name of the dude they replaced him with.
2: Their defensive coordinator. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. But no, I we just have the technology. I, I'm I'm stunned that they didn't do more to address their offensive line, considering how bad it was last year.
3: Brandon Staley. Oh, of course. coordinator yeah. of your LA Rams.
2: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Brandon Staley. We're actually going to talk about Joe here in a second. But I I, I think the Seahawks are just going to be in the mix because of all the things we said. I think the Cardinals are going to be really good. I think the Cardinals are going to be good. I don't think they'll be really good, but I think the Cardinals are going to be dangerous. I, I don't think the Rams got a lot better. And I I think the Niners are are still the best team in the division roster-wise.
3: Yes. But I think there's, like, of all the teams in the NFC, you look at sort of in that middle tier. um, And I know the Cardinals just had the eighth overall pick, so maybe they're towards the bottom or maybe even a lower tier. But typically there are a few teams that make a significant jump and the 49ers last year would qualify, right? Like they, they went from four and twelve to thirteen and three. Um yeah. I don't Let's, know if the Cardinals are like going to make a massive jump, but like yeah, the Cardinals won ten games still. next year, I wouldn't be surprised.
2: Their their defense like I like Simmons, I think he's gonna be really good, but I'm not certain how much I trust Vance Joseph or or really the rest of that personnel but having Chandler Jones and Isaiah Simmons uh in your front 7 is is a pretty good start and then you got Patrick Peterson uh, on the boundary. I, I think they have talent. It's just a matter of whether uh, the coaching staff can get the most out of it. But last I want to go
3: party at Cliff Kingbury Cliff Kingsbury's house.
2: Dude, so sick. Like like it looked like a villa from like Love Island. Is that Temptation Scottsdale, or? you think?
3: you think he's out in Scottsdale or is he out like... He might
2: He might be out in like Queen Creek or something. Okay. Like just out in the cuts or maybe maybe right. somewhere. Um, maybe like Gilbert somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Arizona.
3: It's probably not geography. Glendale. If you've been to Arizona no, I... and you've been to a game in, in Glendale, it's... <laughs> don't. don't think it, and Kingsbury's if you haven't, uh,
2: don't. <laughs>
3: so I, did, I saw Kendrick uh...
2: Lamar in Glendale. You what? I saw Kendrick Lamar in Glendale. Really? Yeah. At the arena? Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. At uh, Gila River Resort Arena or whatever it's called.
3: He's uh he's way up there on, on my list of guys I haven't seen. I've seen a lot of guys, but not it's very but fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Do you, um, do you have any more do you have any more draft related stuff you want to get to? I was just gonna talk about how much my mm. my trip back from Arizona the day after Halloween sucked. Because mm. I stayed in Glendale. Mm. Um couldn't get a car couldn't get an uber and lyft in glendale on a friday morning to the airport well yeah and by the time i did uh there was a bunch of traffic and i nearly missed my flight
2: oh man
3: and the craziest part was i get on the plane and then if (laughs) if you know anything about eric branch you know that he's not the most punctual dude um eric branch was sitting there smiling with this chitting grin on his face because he beat me to the flight which is a shocking <laughs> development. <laughs> anyway, no one cares about my, my travel escapades. But That's fine.
2: we gotta get branch back on the pod.
3: We do. We'll get branch on the pod. He's dying to come Let's on. Do. I know that. Um speaking of
2: branch and speaking of the Niners beat writers, you guys got to talk to Joe Staley yesterday. And Tuesday. Yes. Uh Joe Staley retired on day three of the draft. I was not in that video press conference, so I will uh, save my thoughts and I will turn it over to you uh, to kind of talk about his his video conference and Patrick Willis and Mike McGlinchey and George Kittle also did conferences. So what were kind of the highlights from from that?
3: Yeah, it was a lot. And I actually spent today I wrote probably the longest story I've written in a few years um, just all about Staley and what he meant and sort of the anecdotes that explain why he means so much to the team, like really Staley, you talk about culture in the locker room and everything like that. And, you know, I don't really know how much people understand how important culture is, but it's, it's, you know, I mean, if you work anywhere, if the culture sucks, you hate going to work, whether you like, you know, what you're doing at work or not. Um, The 49ers, the players, one of the reasons why they've, been so successful, and we mentioned it even when they weren't winning games in 2018. Like the culture is really good, right? So Staley has sort of been—I um I don't want to say like like a ringleader. Like he's not really a rah-rah uh, type guy. He's definitely more of a lead by example guy. But he also knows if there's an important thing to say at a certain time, he's going to be that guy to say it. But I mean, the Niners are losing a lot in in Joe Staley retiring. And it's not that he's irreplaceable because you have guys aging into the league or, or, you know, becoming men within the league, like Fred Warner, for an example, like Fred Warner to me is probably going to be the guy who's going to step up in place of DeForest Buckner from a leadership perspective. Um, With Staley gone, it's probably going to be Mike McGlinchey and more of Jimmy Garoppolo and. For sure, George Kittle. Right. Um, but Staley had a really remarkable career, and what's interesting about it to me that I wrote about it a little bit today, and you, or for to, I guess for today, if you're listening to this on Thursday, um, the adaptability of Staley's body and the way he played the game is something Mike McGlinchey talked about, and he said that Staley basically was the model for offensive linemen for the last 15 years like you know that's that's who joe staley was if you're if you're an offensive tackle coming up in high school you know joe staley because of the way he plays the athleticism that he has the fundamentals that he plays with the work ethic that he that he has and all the leadership qualities and stuff And, and people see staley like You know, the really funny guy, the Joe show, all the different stuff on Niners social and and 49er studios does a really good job with all their digital stuff. Um, The Canadian accent with George Kittle. Uh, Staley does an excellent or did an excellent job of towing the line between having fun. We're playing a game and making sure everyone is is in a good place mentally to to be enjoying what they do versus also being a kick ass player who's one of the best guys in his at his position in the league. Um and so, you know, going from this three hundred and twenty pound dude, uh, early in his career playing in a power running scheme and then dropping a bunch of weight to play in, you know, play in a zone running scheme and always being a really good pass protector. Uh pro football focus said Staley was the best run blocking tackle of the last decade. Um And just somebody who's really revered by his teammates and, and everybody. So it was just, it was interesting to hear, you know, stories. George Kittle talked about uh, his rookie season during OTAs, his first off season. He was too intimidated to go talk to Joe Staley. And before he had ever had a conversation with Joe Staley, um, George Kittle, a lowly fifth round pick at this time, long before he became this star um had never spoken to joe staley and then joe staley comes up to him after practice they're walking off the field puts his arm around him and says hey man if you just get your head right you're gonna be good like don't worry about it and that was like the first conversation that joe staley and george kittle had and kittle said like that's one of the most memorable conversations i've ever had and and obviously you know kittle is not one who plays with a lack of confidence so you could sort of connect the dots there and see maybe Right. How important that conversation might have been. And, and Mike McGlinchey talked about it, too. Like he had a similar moment. Um, there's there some funny anecdotes from McGlinchey and Staley. Uh, I don't want to step all over everything I wrote, but um, there was a similar moment in Houston during joint training camp practices between the Niners and Texans. And J.J. Watt completely flattens Mike McGlinchey, a rookie on one of their first reps and one-on-ones and Staley goes like, he goes up to McGlinchey. And he's like, Hey man, can't get any worse than that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so just, so just forget about it and, uh and move forward. And, and that's sort of the approach that, that McGlinchey is, has taken. And I think Staley deserves a lot of credit for McGlinchey becoming a, a pretty good right yeah. tackle. And yeah. I guess this is the last anecdote I'll, I'll talk about. um Cause it's, it's a significant part of my story, but not the whole thing. Um, so, Subscribe to the Sacramento Bee. Subscribe Keep to going. the Sacramento Bee. Do me a favor. Make my bosses happy and subscribe to the Sacramento Bee. Read local. Also by Belichia. Yeah. <laughs> Chew it um, and do it. So Mike McGlinchy was a tight end in high school. And then he went on a visit to Notre Dame as a junior. Um, God, I need to pull up this guy's name so I don't screw it up because it's an important name. Uh, so the Charlie co- Weiss, no, not Charlie. <laughs> the strength coach, um, Tyrone Willingham, Paul Longo, mm. strength coach at Notre Dame. Paul Longo says you remind me a lot of another former high school tight end who converted to tackle, Joe Staley. And Longo was at Central Michigan in 2006, Staley's last year there before he was a first round pick of the Niners in 2007. Um, so this is when Mike McGlinchey's in high school. He goes back, decides to convert to offensive line because that's what everybody, all the college programs who are recruiting him t- are telling him to do. And then he's, he starts watching Joe Staley and watching the Joe show on YouTube and, and watching all the, the cutups and, and decides at that point as a junior and senior in high school that Joe Staley is the dude that he wants to be. Wow. Um, And other people have written stories similar to this, but uh, McGlinchey talked about it. For yours is the best one. Yeah, McGlinchey talked about it like Tuesday. So one of the funny things that Staley mentioned um, in his his Zoom call yesterday, because Staley's a really like self-deprecating dude, like that's a big part of his humor. And so. He goes into Mike McGlinchey's house and Mike McGlinchey wore number 74 because of Joe Staley when he converted to offensive line back in high school. Joe Staley sees number 74 hanging in Mike McGlinchey's house and he starts giving him shit. Right. He goes like, oh, man, your hero's in your house now, like joking, like making fun of him, like and and. Joe didn't know that McGlinchy really did idolize him. Uh. <laughs> he was just, he didn't like, he thought it was purely coincidental that he had 74. And then, and then, Oh, that's so funny. And then McGlinchey's like, actually dude, like that's you, like, you're not, you're kidding about the hero stuff, but like, I, I really did like idolize you and stuff like that. <laughs> and so for Staley, I mean, Staley, like I said, he's a very, you know, he's confident and, and he has an ego like anybody would, who's really good at what they do like that. Sure. But like, he was sort of taken aback like damn this is so i'm at that point now where you know a guy who was in high school midway through my nfl career who i'm playing with now is somebody who like really looked up to me um so i mean staley yeah, staley's the only guy who's been on the team the entire time i've been covering the team i think i mentioned that last week or in the yeah. in the pod we recorded um Really funny guy, really self-deprecating. You can go shoot the shit with him and talk about football or whatever. Um, he was great with scouting reports. I could find out uh, which offensive linemen he liked watching, mm-hmm. uh, which offensive linemen he didn't like watching. And there are a couple who are who a lot of people consider really good, and, and Staley just doesn't really like the way they play, which I think is interesting.
2: I bet one of them is Brian Balaga. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I just pick the
3: name. Um... Well, David Boxiari, I think, is one of Staley's favorite tackles to watch, um, and he was also really good. Like you can go talk to him about pass rushers and what make them, what makes oh, him good. I'll and, do that and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I told Niners PR that Staley has a a uh, standing invite to come on this pod, and maybe he will. Um, I think that'd be awesome. Are, him and I have a good enough relationship that maybe he would do it. Um, but I mean, I, I shouldn't even be saying this publicly, but um because it would be kind of embarrassing if like yeah joe and i are cool and then he just never comes on the pod uh he's probably not going to come on the podcast <laughs> but it would be cool if he did <laughs> i i think there's a reasonable chance that he might um but yeah good dude he was uh he had a really tearful goodbye at the end of it um which was cool to you know just an interesting moment to be a part yeah. of and uh and yeah he's a, he's a good dude he'll be missing the locker room for sure And the Niners also executed a hell of a trade to get Trent Williams because there's, I mean, there's a reasonable case to be made that Trent Williams at 31 or 32 is better than a 36 year old Joe Staley would be if Staley was healthy. Um, So the 49ers might've come out of this uh, making up an upgrade at left tackle. I know it's probably not like the best thing to say at this point when everyone's still sort of talking about Joe Staley, but I think objectively there's, there's a case for that. Um, Sure, yeah. and for read, for read my story. It's like it's like five million words.
2: So that's too many words. You should probably cut that down yeah. some. Um, I'm not an editor, but five million seems like a lot. Uh, for for me, and I, I'm not going to really be able to to expand on anything anything you said. That was that was that was some fun stuff. But for for me, Staley along with Patrick Willis kind of represented this different era of of 49ers football just because growing up they were for for me I was born in 90 I I don't remember them winning the Super Bowl in in 95 they were they were pretty bad for for a lot of a lot of my life and when Staley and Willis came in in 07 it just kind of represented this like they'd gone 7 and 9 in 06 and then they drafted Staley and Willis and it felt like they were they were turning a corner and they went 5 and 11 that first season but then they went 7 and 9 in 08 and they went 8 and 8 in 09 and they went into 2010 with with some level of optimism for for really the first time in in my my life that I had been really closely following football and so Joe Staley retiring kind of closes that that chapter that started with, and I guess Frank Gore in 06, but I didn't realize it in 06, but that, that really started with Staley and Willis, and then they you know brought Gore along from from that 06 draft. So this is it, it's really like I said, it's kind of the first the first this is gonna be the first season I follow the 49ers where I really have a super like cognizant memory of joe staley not starting at left tackle and it's just gonna be kind of weird um 13
3: years so is a long I'm,
2: time it's it's such a long time like in in when he got drafted in 2007 i was a sophomore in high school junior in high school junior in high school i guess like so much is so much has happened in in those 13 years like just in in my life your life uh just the world um and and joe staley just kind of threw all the up and downs like no matter how good or bad the 49ers were you just knew joe staley was going to be a badass at left tackle and he was just going to be the dude and uh it helps that he was very uh talkative he was super funny the joe show is is elite content um I, i it's 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 gonna stink not having him around just from a from a football fan perspective and from a from a a content uh perspective just because of how how good he was in the media and everything so
3: if you had a cat that you had to name with the joe staley pun Ooh. what would you name the cat
2: oh man he can't throw this at me like this
3: sorry Footnotes um wet. i just I heard Patrick willis in the background and yeah, was it catrice or or stefan catcher
2: yeah no it was catrick stefan is uh he's downstairs somewhere nope
3: nope there he is okay
2: yeah, no, that's cat that keeps walking in here and bugging me. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a cat Joe Staley pun for you right now. I'm sorry.
3: How about this? We'll figure one out for the next pod.
2: I'll do my very best. I'm, I'm and rifling we'll through some it. right now as we speak, and I don't really have one.
3: <laughs> it's uh, really be stoked because hey. you're good at that. I, you're like the pun king, and I, I just, I'm horrendous at puns.
2: Uh, that because your mind is working on more productive things, which is probably better for you. Uh, that's <laughs> that's gonna do it for the pod. Let's uh, let's do it again next week. Uh, subscribe, yeah. rate, review Candlestick Chronicles wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the Niners are going to be very very interesting going into next year. Uh, because a lot of teams in the nfc got better and and i think the niners at least over the long term and got better as well so uh as we said they made some big bets and uh, how how those bets play out is going to be it's going to be fascinating to watch and i'm excited to follow it so uh, i'm gonna go feed my angry cats uh chris we will talk to you next week blue chew chew it and do it